0: The dark days are done And the bright days are here My sunny
1: one shines so sincere Sunny one so true I love you
0: Thank you, Don. Our next guest is one of those rare talents who has something to say and can say it funny. He's a writer-performer on the new Laugh-In and one of the most popular, outspoken, and entertaining personalities on the local news here in Los Angeles. He's won a half a dozen Emmys as a film critic and host of his own shows. Let's welcome Mr. John Barber, right over there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was Sarita singing Sonny and Frank Sinatra saying, Here's Johnny, the night he hosted the Tonight's show, and a special special thank you to David Lisby for designing that fabulous video opening. I'm John Barber. This is John Barber's World Live in Las Vegas at 5 p.m. on Monday. And yesterday, justifiably, the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. And I told my son in the middle of the game, when the Dodgers were down one run, they had a man on third and nobody out. And I told my son afterwards, who was at the game, listen. Any team that has a man on third with nobody out and can't get him in to tie the game does not deserve to be in the World Series, and that is indeed the truth. But I must tell you very honestly, those, there were a few games that were wonderful because they distracted us from our very pornographic politics. Politics has become to America what salmonella is to nutrition, It has become so violent, so vitriolic from top to bottom with people shooting off their mouths and now shooting off their guns that the whole country seems to be turning into Chicago. And I said to my son, long ago, if if baseball was like our political candidates, the two worst teams would be playing in the World Series. I mean, it's just absolutely, absolutely and totally unbelievable, but that is the truth. Now, speaking of truth, there's a thousand-year-old Persian proverb that says, if you're going to tell the truth, you better have one foot in the stirrup. And then there's also a 19th century parable that talks about the truth meeting a lie on the highway. And the lie says to the truth, truth, it's a wonderful day. And truth sees that it's a wonderful day. Oh, yes, it is. They go along a little bit and they come to a, a water hole. And the lie puts his hand in the water hole and says, that, hey, it's warm. Why don't we take our clothes off and go and take a dip? So not believing the lie, the truth puts the hand in the water and it is warm. So they take off their clothes and jump in the water. But as soon as the truth jumps in, the jo- lie jumps out and puts on the truth's clothing and begins to spread its way around the world. Well, The truth jumps out and he can't put on the lie's clothing, but he chases them. And the parable says, ever since that moment, the whole world has accepted the lie because it's wearing the clothing of the truth and they can't stand to look at what they can see in front of them, which is the bare naked truth. And nobody in the world has ever said it more profoundly than Mark Twain when he said the difference between a cat and a lie is that. A cat only has nine lives. And you can't say it better than that. Or this T-shirt. Now, the reason I'm wearing this T-shirt is it's wonderful writer, part-time investigative reporter, Lori Kramer. Lori Kramer said to me a long time ago, John, it's not important or necessary that our leaders and those in authority answer the tough questions. It's important that they be asked. So she designed this shirt for those people who will ask those questions of authority and if you don't like what they are saying or if they are being invasive she said you don't have to be rude to them just turn your back and the teacher will say it absolutely all so there you go and when i'm looking for truth the one place that i always go to and it never fails me is Project Censored, and if I were you folks, I would go to Amazon right now and do as I did and buy Amazon's books. The 25 most censored stories of 2018 or the 25 most censored stories of 2019. Not only will you be informed, you'll be inspired with this new information and delighted to know there are journalists and reporters like this around. And the most important one right now is our guest. He's a professor, he's an editor, he's an author, and he is the director of Project Censored, a one-man Wikipedia of wisdom back again here in John Barber's world. I'm delighted to have Mickey Huff. We only have him for 15 minutes, but it'll be the greatest 15 minutes you ever heard. (laughs) Mickey, thanks for being here.
2: I told you, you look
0: like. You look like Turner, the third baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Look at, I've got, you see before me, you have this buffet of nourishing nuggets about news. I don't know where to begin. So you have to tell me, what do you think is the most important story that has been denied, been denied the American public for the last year?
1: Well, according to uh, Censored 2019, Fighting the Fake News Invasion, that's our recent book. Oh, and by the way, if uh, your listeners are interested in getting it, you could go to projectcensored.org and get the books from us and not give the money to Jeff Bezos at Amazon, who <laughs> owns the Washington Post. <laughs> uh, so one of the stories, that, that our top story is global decline in the rule of law and diminishing human rights. Um, so that's hardly a, a great source. But our fifth story is about the Washington Post, <laughs> um, which is owned by Jeff Bezos. And after he bought it, they had a $600 million cloud contract with the Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, they had the temerity after the 2016 election, after the corporate media was mea culpa the results and their lack of investigative coverage, seemingly leading to the lost but won presidency of President now President Trump. Um, the Washington Post actually... Um, their, their slogan turned into, democracy dies in darkness, and I guess that Jeff Bezos <laughs> bringing up the lights. Um, the fifth story in the book this year is the Washington Post bans employees from using social media to criticize its sponsors. This may not be the number one story of our uh, censorship from last year, but this is a clear-cut case of how corporate media, through the propaganda model and their favors to owners and advertisers— are gag ordering their employees to, that they are not permitted to criticize anyone with whom the Washington Post has some partnership. So if yeah. anyone wants to talk about fighting fake news, the Washington Post can start with its own policy. They can start by admitting that they spread their own fake news in the last election cycle, principally right after the election, with a story about how the Russians allegedly hacked the entire New England-Vermont power grid. It was a completely fake story with no facts behind it at all. It took them at least a day and a half to two days to uh, retract the story. So um, again, the Washington Post doesn't seem to be in much of a moral high ground position to be talking to anybody about fake news, let alone democracy dying in darkness when it gags its own employees so that they can't report any factual information that might negatively impact any of their partners.
0: Well, one of the stories that made me smile—I didn't mean to smile—but you know, I'm a I, I'm a techie moron. I'm a techie force scum. So I went to Best Buy and I bought a monitor and. A, I had to hire the Geek Squad to come oh, and install yeah. the monitor. And then I read this story about the FBI is hiring the Geek Squad to spy on people, is that true?
1: Yeah, that's actually in our 2018 book. I can show you, since I'm in my office uh, last, believe it or not, this book is from last year. Um, and that story that you just mentioned um, on the Geek Squad, yes, this is true. Um, The FBI find clever ways to get informants and, um, you know, get information. And in this case, they were actually using the Best Buy crew and team to infiltrate. (laughs) Under the guise of helping, right? You need help, John. They probably looked you up and called you and asked you if you needed help. (laughs) Because they were like, John Barber, he's that guy that tries to talk about taboo, truthful issues. We better get to the bottom of him. Um, So this is actually our newest book that just came out. That would be this one, Fighting the Fake Asian. And that's where the Washington Post story I referenced was. So, yeah, John, I'm sure you're on a few lists by now. So I think the Geek Squad are probably the least of our worries.
0: (laughs) Well, well, this year we saw a lot of attention paid to Alex Jones, who was taken off of some of the social media sites. And again, you have a wonderful story about internet shutdowns
1: that we don't even hear about. Look, that paved the way for what happened to Alex Jones this past summer. And again, I, I mean, I'm not a fan of InfoWars really. And I've written, and we've written critically about some of the coverage that Alex has done over the years is poisoning the well and so forth. But that's not the point here. The point here is that was a really big trial balloon. And you remember earlier in the year when the big tech CEOs got hauled before Congress to do their dog yes. and pony show and the warning was clear the the people on in the in the congress have no idea they don't even speak the same language they don't understand what goes on in big tech world of social media or algorithms or bots or any of this stuff and we were writing about cambridge analytica and those other things too before any of that ever hit the big media or hit the press at all um but the issue here is that they were basically warned shot across the bow style hey you better do something about this so called fake news Phenomenon, and so Facebook went and hired a bunch uh, a ten, uh, over ten thousand people to so-called fact check. They outsourced it the Snopes. Now they've taken it one further. They've hired the right-wing weekly Standard to be fact checkers at Facebook. Oh my! And yeah, and they're working with the Atlantic Council, which is basically a PR wing of NATO, <laughs> uh, to screen for fake news over at Facebook. But all in the wake of this. Um, these social media platforms had this big trial balloon go up this summer, and that's Alex Jones doesn't have a lot of friends, certainly doesn't have a lot of friends on the left of the spectrum or among liberals, Uh, and the corporate media, you know, basically, even though they use a lot of his stories fed third party through Drudge Report and so on because they don't do enough investigation to realize that Jones was the original source, they tend to keep a distance from him because of his histrionics and his performance art behavior. That said, he's also the perfect candidate to see who's going to care if we take out Alex Jones. And most people applauded it. You know, the liberal plaudits, you know, for silencing Jones on social media platform is now what has paved the way for the 800 pages that Facebook just purged two weeks ago, Uh, including a lot of sites like the anti media uh, and others that are very critical of the establishment order. And it wasn't just left wing sites that are critical of media, they also took down people at the Ron Paul Institute on the right end of the spectrum and others. And these groups are now struggling. Uh, uh, to deal with this oligopoly of social media platforms that people have become reliant upon to get their message out to the masses. So these companies have successfully avoided being regulated by the FCC, and that's, of course, why they're doing the bidding of groups like the Atlantic Council, is to avoid regulatory tendencies uh, and regulatory uh, shutdown of what they do. If they were regulated like media companies, they'd have different rules, even though those have been winnowing since the Reagan years, as you know, with the death of the Fairness Doctrine in 1987. Regardless, John, we live in strange and interesting times. Um, but and- the answer, You
0: know, the really interesting thing to me, first of all, is it must be very difficult, as good as you and your crew are, to find out some of these stories. I have the feeling, and you could verify it for me, I have the feeling that some people... In high places are so thankful that you and Project Censored exist
1: that they send you material secretly. Is that true? Oh, yeah we we have there are groups and organizations and especially individuals. Well, we of course network with a lot of different organizations that do similar things through the National Coalition Against Censorship. Fan Books Week, ALA. Um, We work with other media groups like Acme um, and and Weave News. We just did our big Media Freedom Summit. But, yeah, actually, individuals and whistleblowers do contact us. We also are involved with the Whistleblower Summit in D.C. every summer. So, yeah, we do get really strange stories. The big problem, John, as you know, because you really research complicated issues and controversial topics that are taboo, Um, in a lot of ways where you get people get smeared as conspiracy theorists for asking critical questions Um, so but we have to be careful about the stories we pick up we have to be able to transparently and independently fact check and source them and that becomes pesky with some of these stories because some of these stories are so censored that they haven't been written about anywhere and so the the
0: story the story that was really sad to me Because I remember the days of uh, of busing in the 60s and 70s, busing Blacks back and forth to schools. But when I read your story about homeless being bussed, it was incomprehensible to me. And how did you come upon that story? And how vast
1: is the problem? Well, Which story again, John? It's about the homeless being bussed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, look, this has been going on since the 1960s um um th- this this was a move to get rid of so called hippies and vagrants uh, and they would give them one-way tickets to San Francisco, and they ended up, you know, the Hate ashbury <laughs> district. And that, era be- that area became extraordinarily overpopulated, and there were a lot of serious problems there. This is a policy that continues, right? It's touted as a way of, quote, dealing dealing with homelessness by simply shuffling the population around. You know, I think there's somewhere in the neighborhood of five or six empty houses in the United States today for every homeless person. That's a problem for capitalism, and it's never going to solve it. Right. You know, speaking of busing people places, we just saw the other day in Georgia, as if it's 1960 again, that a busload of African-Americans was prevented from going and voting. Um, You know, this is happening in today's America. So and these are historic problems that, you know, so many people figured were part of the past and that we've dealt with them. But they're right back under our noses in Trump's America. And we really need a vibrant and independent free press, John, in order to know these things, to be able to do anything about them.
0: Why would anybody vote? thinking that their vote is is being monitored by a machine. Why can we no longer have paper ballots? Because I keep reading that if you vote for a Democrat in some states, it ends up being
1: a Republican who gets the vote. Yeah, this isn't a new problem either. And we've long written about election fraud. So is Mark Crispin Miller, Joel, uh, Jonathan Simon, This is the thing that we, we, again, the the way that we're allowed the vote is as long as the vote can be manipulated, right? Um, The Republicans for years have basically been able to control three branches of government because of gerrymandering, voter suppression, hacking the vote, rigging the vote. Um, You know, that's basically cross-check, as Greg Palast has written about. Um, If you have open, honest, and fair elections in this country and everybody votes, um, the GOP doesn't win. And in fact, the Democrats might even have a hard time. So this is, these are just more non-transparent ways of forcibly saying we're making this convenient for you, but you can't see a paper ballot. We've outsourced our voting in elections to private companies, there's three major ones. They won't allow you to audit their system for proprietary reasons because they're private. We've outsourced our entire democracy over the 20th century, and it has almost no meaning or no actual trappings from the original definition of what it means to be a democratic republic anymore.
0: Well, aside from that unbelievably interesting story about the 1% in the world getting a whole lot richer while the rest of us are getting a whole lot poorer, aside from economically destroying the souls of most Americans, the other story that really moved me was the one about the opioid epidemic and— Big Pharma's lack of responsibility. The other night, I don't like to watch Frontline anymore, but I I did watch it the other night when they did a story about Big Pharma and the opioid epidemic. And what hurt me was that Big Pharma was totally, totally absolved and relieved of the problem. They put it on doctors who prescribed them and the people who took them. So... Your, your, your story was wonderful.
1: And this is a story by Abby Martin at the Empire Files, and she also did the foreword to our book this year on the post-truth dilemma. Um, this story, she, these people are referred to as biostitutes, um, which is a negative, <laughs> way <of> framing, <laughs> negative way of framing them as people that are basically selling out to the healthcare, quote, healthcare industry, disease-causing and management system. Um, And by the way, Purdue Pharma in general, you know, not only were they responsible for part of the opioid, big, big, big part of the opioid crisis, lying to doctors about how these drugs weren't addictive, drug pushing them all the way um, uh, to to, to now. Some of these these same people at Purdue Pharma or these other major pharmaceutical companies are the same companies that have started up rehab facilities to deal with drug addiction. So they, they create a crisis and then they treat a crisis. So once again, this is capitalism in high gear, wrecking thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people's lives for billions of dollars of profits. That's story number 22 in our new book. And your listeners can go and check it out at ProjectCensored.org, where they can actually see the top 25 stories, not the rest of the book or the chapters, but they can see the top stories.
0: Well, Abby did a fabulous job, and she's going to be our guest. It'll be her second time back here with me. She's gonna be our guest in November. And I know that you have a very, very important meeting. You have to go to you overstayed right. your 15 minutes. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for being here, Mickey. John, again, yes. It's a pleasure. Oh, l- always, listen, on, you- always a pleasure. You're one of the great shows. I love to come on. I'd love to be on again when we can hang out for longer because there's no shortage of things to talk about.
0: Oh absolutely. Well we'll do it probably in December or right after the first of the year. Anyway, Mickey, thank you so much again. And now to take over for you is your second biggest fan next to me, Joe Joe Satilli, who has this wonderful newsletter called News Vandal. Joe, thank you for coming on early. (laughs) (laughs) There you go.
1: Keep up the good work, guys. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks, Mickey. Have a great meeting. Bye-bye. Joe. You want to pick it up from there. There's so much. Oh, I mean, I look at
2: me. About. I'm just sitting back and enjoying the show. I mean, I, I this is a chance for the news vandal to relax, let Mickey take over for a while. That well, be- what I want to talk to you about
0: is this wonderful thing that you posted on Facebook about George Soros. I want to repeat what I said to you a little bit earlier. I was on with Rents on Friday night. We're talking about this caravan in uh, it's making its way, uh, way up to uh San Diego, and uh, and 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 Jeff said, Well, it's funded by George Soros. And I told him, Hold it, there are a lot of white trucks that I see that have Israeli insignia on them, and I don't think that these were bought by George Soros. And he said, Well, they're trying to get him in here to vote. I said seven thousand votes don't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. He said, "No, they're going to open the floodgates." And I said, "Listen, all they're going to get is a driver's license and no insurance, and there'll be no more car wrecks in California." Listen, everybody I know who seems to be a bright, informed Republican has this thing against George Soros. Now I've read everything I can about George Soros, and it's like electricity. I know it's there, but I don't understand him. You made the most brilliant observation to me privately on the phone about the difference between George Soros and the Koch brothers. So I'd like you to expand on that so maybe some of these other folks will listen to some real facts.
2: Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it's really complicated because there are multiple levels when it comes to Soros. There's the level that we were talking about, and I think that this is immediately not the most pernicious thing, because obviously this guy Bowers over the weekend was motivated by the, re- the migrant caravan and the things that the migrant caravan was purported to be bringing. Today, Brian Kilmead on Fox and Friends said that they're bringing diseases. So now the, car- the, the caravan's bringing diseases. They're not just voting, they're bringing a disease, and diseases that'll kill your children. But uh, one of the pernicious aspects of the Soros fixation, to my mind, is that it becomes a misdirection play. Because I think about the amount of influence George Soros has. And there was actually a list that was compiled by the Center for Responsive Politics of the top givers in the election cycle. Who was number one? Well, it was Sheldon Adelson to the tune of like $112 million. Down at number 10 was $32 million by Soros. And he does give to Democratic candidates. He does. There's no doubt about it. He also has the Open Society Foundation, and they do what's called democracy promotion around Eastern Europe. That's what it was designed for. When he is a, a, as an Eastern European, um, a, a wealthy Eastern European individual, and of course a Jew, decided after the fall of the of the Berlin Wall and the end of the Soviet Union that he would promote democracy to the Open Society Open Society Foundation. So there's that. But- uh, let
0: me let me just pause you a second because you brought up the pernicious word jew and it has to do with this uh, this article that you posted which yeah. was published by the United States government <laughs> yes and they referred to him as a multimillionaire jew which yes. sounds to me horribly antisemitic <laughs> you so think?
2: How, how,
0: how did this how did this article come about and where was it placed and why was it placed where it was?
2: Well, in between us doing our sort of we you folks every, every Monday, John and I just have sort of have a pre-show chat a couple hours before the show just to touch base or whatever. And he saw this thing I posted about this this story that uh, aired in May on radio television Marti, which is a Spanish language station run by the United States Agency for Global Media. If you as if you even knew that even existed. Right. Well, Uh, what they do is they have an office for Cuba Broadcasting, and this is a remnant of the Cold War where the United States was beaming information, you know, counter-propaganda or propaganda, depending on your point of view, into Cuba to try and foment revolution inside Cuba. It still exists. And on this, there was this story run citing Judicial Watch, which is a right-wing advocacy organization about how George Soros, the multi- multi-million dollar Jew, has his eye on Latin America, and he's using his lethal influence to destroy democracies. Well, in the time between you and I talked about this after I posted the article and now, there's a news story by Daily Beast that the people who were involved have been put on, um, on, I guess, probation. I think they're going to be fired, and they're doing, they're doing a full <laughs> audit now, just in the last two hours, right? That's because- great. Because you can't—you know, you think if you're a U.S. government agency, you can't be talking about multimillion-dollar Jews who have their eye on Latin America. Okay, which...
0: in, in that respect, tell me and tell the audience who you think and can authenticate and verify the fact. Who do you think has more influence, positive or negative, on the United States of America, George Soros Or the Koch brothers or Sheldon
2: Adelson? It's the Koch brothers. Now, Sheldon Adelson has a lot of influence. And Sheldon Adelson owns a newspaper in uh, Israel that's closely tied to Netanyahu. Sheldon Adelson is basically Netanyahu's backstop. He's Netanyahu's Fox News inside Israel. And Sheldon Adelson is also, as you know, a big uh, investor in casinos. And this has some intersection maybe with Trump, but really Sheldon Adelson has been promoting the Republican Party for a long time because the Republican Party has been decidedly and uh, reflexively pro-Israel or pro-Likud Party, pro-Bibi Netanyahu, even more than being pro-Israel. They're pro one specific part of of the Israeli political uh, landscape and also very anti-Iran. And that's a big part of Adelson's uh, giving is trying to isolate and undermine iran he's in favor of the overthrow of iran been been linked to those who are in favor of bombing iran like like uh, bolton who is now uh, the national security advisor for geppetto Donald- yeah <laughs> geppetto uh, i actually I, he reminds me of colonel mustard from the game clue so i always call him colonel mustard gas he did it in the oval office with a candlestick but anyway um so i look at You have at the top of this list, the two most influential big money givers are the Koch brothers and Sheldon Adelson. And the thing about Sheldon Adelson is he gives the Republican Party and he gives the candidates. But what the Koch brothers have more than any other influence peddler in in American political life is they have something called the American Legislative uh, Exchange Council, ALEC, A-L-E-C-E-C. And what ALEC has been doing for the last decade in particular, but a little bit longer, is they actually write bills, and they put those bills in the hands of state representatives, Republican state representatives in in states around the country, and those bills get passed and become laws. They are actually— changing the the laws of states around the country on a continual basis because they write laws and give them to people who then get those laws passed by republican state legislatures additionally i could make an argument that they have five votes on the supreme court because they are a massive backer and financial contributor to the federalist society which is run by a guy named leonard leo who has is intimately intertwined financially with the koch brothers and Gorsuch and uh, Kavanaugh, and to to a lesser extent, Thomas, because Thomas goes all the way back to Herbert Walker Bush's administration. But no doubt, Roberts and Alito are Federalist Society minted candidates. So now the Koch brothers basically have a five-vote block on the Supreme Court. And what I say about the Soros thing being pernicious is that one of the things I've mentioned this to you before, John. I think one of the amazing things about Donald Trump to me is that he is able to convince his supporters that they are fighting the thing that they are actually supporting when they support Donald Trump. They think they are fighting the military industrial complex. No, you're supporting it. You think you're fighting the deep state. No, you're supporting it. You think you're fighting against big corporations and corporate power. You're, no, you're supporting it. And this is one of those misdirections that has people. Cheering for Kavanaugh, who is a guy who believes in the unitary executive, which was the big neocon, uh, you know, dream uh, of the Bush administration, of the W administration, was to get this unitary executive place. That's Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh is a is a is a big money corporate uh, controlled Koch brother m- machine that was installed into the Supreme Court. So, I think what Soros becomes is this is this pernicious misdirection where Trump supporters now focus on Soros instead of focusing on the true source of power. And as you know, if you're David Copperfield and you want to have a 747 on this on stage, suddenly you better have some busty assistants over the side twirling their 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 breasts around so that you're looking at that instead of looking at him bring the 747 onto the stage. And that's how I I view that. There is obviously an anti-Semitic part of this, which is also pernicious. And I think what the Soros thing has done for people is it's allowed people who are afraid of flying their anti-Semitism flag publicly. It has given them a cover story for expressing anti-Semitic ideas, this multimillion-dollar Jew idea. And in, instead it of j- talk- it
0: just it just erupted in, in Pittsburgh. What I'd like to do right now, Joe, is I want to take a a, a break, uh, and we can't chat during the break because of, 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 of the audio. I want to come back and I want to expand on that. And I want to explore your thoughts about the fact that it seems to me that Donald Trump and the Republicans are going to be around in 2020. And it's not Necessarily because of their assets. It's because of the fact that it seems that the Democrats have just totally fallen apart. Yeah. It's like they don't exist anymore. So we'll be right back with Joe to pursue this. I want to thank you all for tuning in to listen to, to look at our little undertaking here on BBS Radio, John Barber's World. And if you want to hear it again or look at it again, go to BBS Radio Archives. John Barber's World, or you can go to my site, YouTube forward slash johnbarbersworld dot com. Not only are these shows archived, but you will find highlights and excerpts from my 40 years in television and show business. Fabulous stories—some dramatic, some funny, some truly interesting—and a few outrageous, mad as hell rants, which I certainly enjoyed doing. You will also see the second-best documentary ever made about anybody in show business. It's called Ernie Kovacs Television's Original Genius. By far the best film ever made about somebody in show business was Searching for Sugar Man, which won an Oscar a few years ago. But most importantly to me, you will find the links to what I believe is the most important movie ever made in America. It's a runaway hit on Amazon, thanks to you, and on Vimeo. It's called The American Media and the Second Assassination of President John F. Kennedy. But also free on this site, the original Garrison Tapes, the last word in the assassination, the last word on the Garrison Tapes. And if you are truly, truly interested in the subject, go to Len Osanix, Black Op Radio, 50 reasons for 50 seasons it's a fabulous undertaking and you should not miss it this film would not exist on this site if it were not first for george knapp who saved it from obscurity it was a runaway hit around the world but blocked here he saw it one day put me on coast to coast and saved it but it's saved for history and saved for you by david lispy David Lisby was a young man who was a fan of the film, showed up at my house one day, said, I'm gonna build you a site so the world and history can have this film and excerpts from your work. That was nine years ago. For nine years, he's been maintaining this site and now he does it from Thailand where he's an American expatriate. So I cannot thank David enough and you should be thanking him also. Also, I wanna thank Mike Kim the producer of this show, I've never met him, but he finds me the most fabulous and the most interesting guest anybody could ever have. And of course, I could not be doing the show if it weren't for the founders of BBS, Doug and Don Newsom. But again, the one I really wanna thank, and I love all of the people I'm thanking, is my son, Christopher. Christopher Ernest Barber is his name, and you can see it twice, on the credits of Criminal Minds, he's one of the co-executive producers and one of the writers. And he is by far the greatest thing that I ever helped to produce. And now back to my show. Welcome back. We're talking to Joe Cotilli. Uh Joe, could you expand on what we were just talking about before the break?
2: Uh, you were talking about the... Democrats and the flaccidity of the Democrats in the face of the Republicans. And it's, you know, the Republicans have a narrative now. It's a nationalist narrative. It's a it's a narrative that works. It's a narrative that's rooted. I actually think of this focus on immigration and this migrant caravan. I think we have a full reboot of the Southern strategy, putting migrants or criminal immigrants in the place that uh, Blacks, Africans, Americans used to occupy in the Southern strategy. And I think it's going to be very effective. The Southern strategy was very effective. So where are the Democrats? Well, I think, you know, the Democrats are still in the hangover of the Clinton years. And in 1985, the Democratic Leadership Council was, was founded in response to the wipeout of Mondale. There was a belief that the Democrats had to Absorb the policies of Ronald Reagan and of uh, a more sort of moderate they called it a centrist uh, type of democratic style and I think they lo- they learned the wrong lessons from the defeats of Carter and Mondale, but mostly of dukakis and and carter and because those two defeats, one because of the october surprise of of keeping Carter from getting the hostages released, and then Dukakis losing. He was up 17 points in July, but he ended up losing in a pretty big wipeout in no small part because of two things. Herbert Walker Bush and Lee Atwater ran that campaign for Herbert Walker Bush on two things, on the flag and patriotism and on Willie Horton. And I think the Democrats since then, instead of holding fast to their union base and to the traditions of FDR, they divorced themselves from a very good tradition from from FDR all the way through Kennedy – of democratic policies of pro union pro worker policies and i think now going forward because they went to this neoliberal pro wall street uh, anti crime you know tough on crime stuff that they did under the clinton years they've really become discombobulated they don't have a core they don't have a core idea and when you have a strong core idea and message like the republicans have it's very hard to battle that with 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 nothing with a wet fish they're swinging You know, there's and so what do you get? You get Michael Avenatti. I I don't see where Michael Avenatti is the answer either. I'll be honest with you. If I had to project 2020, and you had to ask me today who the next president of the United States is, I'm going to say it's Republican John Kasich, because I don't think I don't think Trump is going to be running in 2020. I think something is. I think we will have something intercede. I don't think he's going to run again because I think that what we see now is only going to get worse. And this reminds me a lot of the period after Nixon and Watergate. When America wanted uh, a fresh start, and they what did they pick? They picked a governor from a uh, from a southern state who was an evangelical who talked about fairness and kindness and traditional sort of friendly values. And I watch a lot of John Kasich, and he is positioning himself to do that. I don't see where the, where there's a Democratic candidate out there right now of those who are bandied about who who can who can deal with that. There's only one that really comes to mind, and that's congresswoman tulsi gabbard of hawaii because i think the sweet spot for winning in america that nobody has exploited is a combination of being anti-wall street and anti-war and if somebody can bring a desire to rein in but they Wall will
0: street, they will get media attention
2: attraction talking i mean isn't subject. that the thing and john you, it's it's frustrating because that that constituency well, you know what you know what there. joe that
0: you know what you, you, you brought up the business of something may happen and Trump might not run. And I thought about that a couple of times. And you know what I equate it to? I equate it to Lyndon Johnson and yeah. the Vietnam War. Yes. Because it's, it's students used to stand outside the White House, hey hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? And for whatever reason, it took a toll on him or he felt maybe he couldn't win or whatever. And so he literally bowed out yeah. and turned it over to Hubert Humphrey, who, who was absolutely worse. Yeah. But there is, but while we have this vitriol now directed toward Donald Trump, we don't have an external war. We almost have a civil war.
2: Yeah, yeah. And- that yeah. internal enemy although there is the external see this is the thing that i find fascinating about trump is that he is he is playing that that kind of that fascist thing where you have enemies at home and enemies abroad you have the enemies at home right you have the the media is the enemy of the people and you have this you have ms13 and you have all these interlopers and now you have liberal mobs from you know mobs not we want jobs not mobs but he also has the external enemy. He has the migrant caravan. He has those wily Chinese who have been deceiving America out of all of its money. And this is another one of those misdirections, much like Soros is focused on instead of the Koch brothers. People focus. He's trying to get people to focus on China when the people who actually hollowed out America's manufacturing base was not the Chinese who came in the middle of the night and stole the factories. No, it was American corporations and and financial elites on wall street who shipped the jobs over there to maximize profits in the short term. And that ability to have an internal and external enemy is a very, very historically, it is a very, very, um, um, it's a dire warning for the future of the body politic that that is now an effective play. And we will know in a, basically a week from today how effective it is.
0: Well, you have brought up something that we don't hear of since, since uh, for two years. We haven't heard it. We heard it uh, when uh, when Bernie Sanders was a candidate for a while. You're talking about issues we do not hear anything about actual issues anymore. It comes down to what it was basically in in the 70s a little bit. They were moral issues rather than political or economic issues that really affected the lives of everyday Americans. Now, I know that you're a huge fan of of Mickey's and you read all his stuff. And there are a bunch of things here that are in his books that I never got to that I would sort of like to uh, uh, touch on with you if you don't
2: if you don't. No, I mind. don't mind. I I'd like to finish that one with one go, thing. Go go ahead. Go ahead. Just, just over the weekend because you talked about the issues, and there are two things. One, if the media is anti-Trump or out to get Trump, they really suck at it. <laughs> awful. they suck Leslie at pro- I, i'll give you an example I, I i go between fox and msnbc and then occasionally go to cnn throughout the day while i'm doing my work and uh just msnbc in particular i'll just single them out because they they have a lot of former republicans who come on to talk badly about trump and whatnot one of the things i've noted is that MSNBC spends all of its time talking about Trump, but talking about non-issues, talking about his psychology and how he's breaking norms and how the guardrail, guardrails of democracy are out. But the one time they actually scored a hit on Trump is when they sent this guy, Jacob Soboroff, down to the border to investigate a rumor that children were, reset, were being separated from families. So they actually sent a reporter to a possible story. He went with a camera crew. He found the story, he got pictures, and it turned into one of the big stories of the last five months. That's because they did actual reporting instead of just looking at his Twitter feed and moaning about it, which is what most of cable news is. It's moaning about things. <laughs> so if we get into if we start to talk about issues, we actually start to to score points. If you want to score points on Trump, that's the way you score points. It's talking about issues. Because I think ultimately I came up with this configuration over the weekend and I tweeted it out. Donald Trump is how the 1% turns the 99% into 49 versus 50%. In other words, Donald Trump is a mechanism by which elite money people like the Koch brothers distract us with a whole bunch of hoo-ha while they rob the bank. And as long as the working classes and the middle classes are at odds with one another, which is what you have, because there was a time at which you know, big thanks to unions and uh, and um, um, the and FDR creating a, a a brand new coalition in American politics, that people were on the same page together, and there has been a long systematic process by which the, the working and middle classes have been divided into two competing camps, so that they can never come together and vote as a block, and therefore go after the people at the top who are basically making money hand over a fist with each boom and bust cycle since 1980.
0: Well, aside from most people going broke nowadays or being one paycheck away from being homeless, there's always the problem of people claiming that the schools are being dumbed down. And one of the stories that was in, uh, was in Mickey's uh, book, I was, I was startled at and I'll mention it in passing to you, it was number 17 in, in his last book. Do you know, of course, that in, this, in the 60s and the 70s, Mississippi, Louisiana, and the South, there were the strong po- focal points for the civil rights movement. Right now, Project Censored has revealed that in the school system in the state of Mississippi, they no longer teach anything about the civil rights movement. Of course. Of course. You know how destructive that must be to blacks yeah. and how yep. must how misinforming it is to Caucasians?
2: Yep. You know, along with the Koch brothers and the American Legislative Council, when you look at at what has happened since the founding of the Moral Majority by Jerry Falwell in 1979, when he realized that he could take evangelical thought and turn it into a political force. And it is a political force. Donald Trump is the first evangelical president. I mean, truly evangelical president. Technically, Jimmy Carter is, but Jimmy Carter is a different kind of evangelical, obviously. Uh, Donald Trump, even though he I doubt he even believes in anything close to the god that they profess to believe in, he's more like their, their ball statue, and he's actually even turned himself gold so they can worship him like ball. But um, starting in the 80s, the Republicans began doing what? Running people for school boards and taking over one school board after another. It was part of a, a, an organized plan a bottom-up grassroots revolution in American politics, and they believed, see, Republicans believe that culture leads politics, not politics leads culture. And so they're, they're always making the culture wars central to what they're doing. One, because it's a wonderful hot button that motivates people, because do you want some man to claim one day that he's a woman and go in and watch your daughter pee? because that's what the Democrats are trying to do. They want men to be able to watch your daughters pee. So they've got that aspect of it, but it's actually kind of smart because what they've done is they've slowly over time taken over school boards. And what do school boards do? They determine curricula for each individual course. And and there has been this hollowing out. I, I actually don't think that it's coincidental that we have flat the flat earth movement and Trumpism at the same time. Because they, there, is a, there has always been a deep anti intellectualism in American politics and life and culture, but it has metastasized now. And I think what you're pointing out with this story cuts to the quick of what it is. It's that, our, you know, it's what did George W. Bush say? Is our children learning? Remember when he said that? <laughs> I mean, the same know nothingness that got George Bush elected because he's a guy I'd like to have a beer with. That was that is literally. I was in D.C. for that election, and all of the political consultants and everything. When they when they came out of it, they said people did not like Al Gore's stentorian tone, and they thought George W. Bush was a guy they'd like to have a beer with.
0: But Al Gore had announced uh, before the final count in the election that they had hired seventeen of the best attorneys to challenge the election.
2: Yeah, and he. He never challenged it. Well, no, Then went Bush v. Mm -hmm. Gore. It went to the Supreme Court. It went to the Supreme Court. And this is why the Koch brothers have worked so hard with Mitch McConnell to get that five-vote block on the Supreme Court. Because the Supreme Court is now the ultimate veto in American life. And for the next 20 years, what the Koch brothers have scored— by getting both Gorsuch and Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, is anything that happens politically? Let's just say the Democrats have a wipeout. They finally clean out the Clintons and all the remnants of the Clinton years and the Democratic Leadership Council are gone. And all of a sudden, there's a new sort of post-Bernie progressivism that harkens back to the to the days of FDR. And all of a sudden, people say, "Yeah, we want to get money out of politics, and we want to. We don't want." Uh, polluters to be able to poison us with pesticides. And we don't want the, anything they want to do. The Now the Supreme Court for 20 years will be able to veto it and veto the will of the people as expressed through Congress because the Supreme Court is now the ultimate power in the United States.
0: Well, I think you put your finger on the reason for the Republican success. And the simple word is that they're, they're organized. Yes. And as Will Rogers said, in the thirties, <laughs> right. I'm not. I'm 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 not a member of any organized political party. I'm a Democrat.
2: Yeah, yeah. One of the they
0: you know, they have seemed to have been that forever. And speaking of of, of Bush, you recall uh, a day or two. It was the ninth of September, I believe. Donald Rumsfeld went on national television, and he said, "There's a trillion dollars missing." from the pentagon of course after 9 that investigation into where the trillion dollars went was uh, stopped because a lot of the files were in building seven which came down because it was hit by a puff of smoke now in project censored they have this magnificent story about now two trillion dollars are unaccounted for by the United States Army, not the Navy or the Air Force, but missing from the Army. How is it possible to misplace and not track down $2 trillion?
2: (laughs) If I knew, John, I wouldn't be sitting here with you. (laughs) I'd be working (laughs) for the Pentagon, um, (laughs) hiding that money. You know, and the funny thing is, is that there has been a call for an audit. There was actually there was congressional action to get an audit and they can't seem to get the audit off the ground because they can't seem to get the computer program written properly. And the audit keeps getting put off because they just can't seem to get it right. And it's it's like watching a, a guy try to get down. I think it was a Buster Keaton or somebody had a gag where they would go to pick up a ball and they would keep kicking it and then follow the <laughs> yeah. ball. <and> keep kicking <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. It is exactly what's going on with the Pentagon and a lot of it has to do with graft involved in the in the uh, in the um, in the uh, budget right. process in the in the f twenty two and all the weapon systems all of these things are are filled with 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 back channel payments and whatnot that get hidden and there's you have know, all the cost overruns and all so I think a lot of this stuff gets, gets hidden so that when they go back for the next budgeting process, it doesn't look like they wasted all of this money. That's the only explanation that I've seen from people who are really you know, uh, assiduous budget watchers. But even guys like William Hartung, who's probably our leading expert on military budgeting, uh, writes often for Tom Dispatch. It's it is a mystery. It is maybe one of the great mysteries in American political life is what happened to the money. And I, I you know I kind of have a feeling that's a question we're never going to get answered ever.
0: Hey, <laughs> we're going to wrap it up. Uh, we're going to wrap it up right now. Joe, thank you. Thank you so much. And again, I would urge everybody to get Joe's News Vandal. It's absolutely wonderful. It's immensely easy, easy to read. He highlights every important story. You can read that highlight. And if you want to read the story, you just click on it. And I do half of them every single day. And also go to Project Censored rather than to Amazon and get one of the books from Project Censored. They are remarkable. They are a thrill to read, believe me. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Good night. Good luck.
2: The dark days
0: are done And the bright days are here My sunny one shines so sincere Sunny one so true I
2: love